0: Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM or anywhere on the Odyssey app. 36 degrees here at 510 on this Friday, February 16th, 2024. And like El- every Friday, we have Do I Have a Case with Attorney Keith Figured to the Figured Law Group. Keith, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show today.
1: My pleasure, Rob. Trying to slow these weeks down, these Fridays tend to come around pretty quick. <laughs> well, a long weekend today, so you have at least one day to catch up, right?
0: Right. <laughs> All right. So the first question for today, um, and I, I like this question. It's a good one. With an abundance of nonprofits on that on face value appear to do good things and less and less expendable money to put towards these entities, how can one make sure that they are good stewards of their donations and that the majority of funds are going to their stated cause?
1: I think it's first important for somebody to uh, understand what a form 990 is. Um, So any organization that uh, or with a tax exempt status that takes in over $50,000 a year has to file a form 990, um, which basically shows the annual report of how the nonprofit spends its money. now, once the IRS makes the form public, you can find it in a number of ways um, by doing a search for the nonprofit's name. Um, there's different online searches, um, just like there's different government watchdogs. There's different different charity watchdog sites. Um, one I believe is called ProPublica Nonprofit Explorer. They actually have a Form 990 lookup tool. So that being said, you also have to understand that uh, when these forms are filed, a lot of times it's not uh, very current, um, as it may be many months after the end of an organization's fiscal year. Um, so they may be back um, or or uh, a little bit uh, stale by the time you're actually to review them. To get the most recent ones, you want to actually try to reach out to the charity. Um, they are uh, required to provide the form upon request um, However, as I'm sure you can imagine, there's some organizations that don't comply. Now, for purposes of determining if they are a good steward of the money, uh, when you get the Form 990, um, there's a number of things that you could look at, such as program spending, fundraising fees, and executive compensations, um, which are usually the primary ways that people assess a nonprofit. The program spending is obviously when a person donates to a, um uh, or donates to a nonprofit, they are donating for a specific program so you want to see what monies have been apportioned or budgeted it for that program that's uh something that would be in part three of the form 990. the professional fundraising um, that is obviously something that's needed but it can be a problem if the charity spends far more on professional fundraising than on the programs themselves so again that's something that can be seen Um, in part one, uh, I believe, line 16A of the form 990. And then executive compensation. Uh, Nonprofits are required to disclose the name and salaries of the five highest paid employees, as well as other key staff and board members. Um, So you would want to go and look in there as well on that form. And then, of course, you could look in the news and other websites to see um, if they are actually engaging in any um, of the specific programs like for one uh, an example was when um, the red cross raised millions of dollars for haiti and i believe they only built like six houses i mean obviously there is an issue there um, but i think that would be the best way and if as i said you had difficulty you can probably go to one of those uh, uh, watchdog sites to help uh, at least guide you or, or provide additional uh, um, insight
0: Great advice. Great advice. And people looking to do good things with their money, obviously they want to do their due diligence to make sure it's being used in the right way. So always great advice there. Uh, Next question. I was in a minor fender bender. and I think this happens a lot more than we actually know. I was in a minor fender bender in a parking lot uh, where another vehicle bumped and scratched my vehicle. It was very little damage and the driver said that they would take care of the repair costs. So we exchanged information uh, but as but has now ghosted me and is not returning calls?
1: So the issue here is I believe what's done at the time of the accident because that can vary significantly in terms of what information is obtained, what information isn't obtained, were there pictures of the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, the obvious issue is if a person th- – then becomes silent or non cooperative is how do you prove your case you have the burden if you're filing a claim to prove that they caused the damages and that can be a problem um, if you fail to take adequate or, or preserve adequate evidence at that time the other problem is is if you don't get the insurance information typically when you recover on these cases it's through the insurance unless in these circumstances they want to offer to Uh, not go through insurance which is an option however if you don't get that insurance information in the beginning you don't have the option of submitting it later on if they become non-cooperative and that's what i think is the most important to understand in this situation is if this happens it's not a problem and if you and the other party agree to resolve this by not going through the insurance however you as the injured or harmed party or with the damage want to make sure you at least get a copy of the license and the insurance and basically you give them an opportunity and you could take it to a uh, a dealer to get an estimate and you give them an opportunity to pay which would then satisfy obviously whatever damages are owed or if they go quiet now you at least have the person's insurance and you can uh, submit it to their insurance and have it uh, go through that way um, but if you really don't take that step you're you're looking at um, having a file through the magistrate and even if you do file through the magistrate if insurance isn't involved now you're trying to collect on it chances are you're going to spend a lot more trying to collect on it than you would <laughs> yeah um, then it'd be worth it
0: uh, just in time, uh, like you said. So it's always <laughs> it's good to get, Money that docu- and time. Yeah, to get that <laughs> documentation that, that you needed to get. Make sure you get pictures of everything. Make sure you get the insurance. So if they say, hey, I'll take care of it. I'm going to pay for this. And they end up don't paying for it. You can just contact their insurance and say, hey, here's pictures. Here's the date it happened. They're time stamped and everything that happened there. Correct. Great. Uh, last question here. A few years ago, I had suffered a workman's compensation injury to my knee. I had surgery and rehabilitation and thought I was back to normal. But now, while in a new job years later, I realize my knee is limited and and in pain for what was once normal usage. Are there any options for me now to be made whole?
1: All right. So in this question, there's a lot of issues. There's because... When you have a potential workers compensation claim, and you return to work, it goes into what's called a suspended status, Um, but there's a number of things that can go on in between there. Such as what did they actually acknowledge in terms of the injury? Um, When was the last payment of compensation? There's all different time frames upon which you have to open up a claim. Uh, For a prior injury the other issues you have here and without knowing is if they were treating because what really is going to dictate whether this relates back to the old injury or is a new injury um, or. uh, What it's related to is likely going to be the records and and the medical records specifically and the history provided to the doctor, for instance, in this particular situation if the guy had a surgery years ago and there was something that came loose and a doctor, oh, this is clearly related to the prior surgery, the prior work injury, that may relate back. And if it's within the time frame, you would be able to reopen your claim. However, if there's records that indicate that with the new job, his knee was becoming symptomatic, and over time it worsened, chances are a doctor is gonna be more inclined to opine that the injury was aggravated or a new injury, and thus the new employer's responsibility. So again, in a case like this, Um, I think it's important to speak with an attorney right away that's well versed in this area so that they can review to see what, if there's any evidence to substantiate or establish causation, and if not, to make sure he's seeing a doctor so that they have what they need to proceed with filing a claim if they're able to establish one. And one other thing I guess I would say is they have to understand what workers' comp is workers' comp isn't necessarily something meant to make you whole It's a remedial statute. So it's more or less to get you back to work in some capacity or an earning uh, capacity. Um, You have much less damages in workers' comp than you do in a typical um, negligence claim or a motor vehicle accident claim, uh, such as like pain and suffering, loss of life's pleasures. So the damages are actually really limited when it comes to workers' comp, which is all the more reason why you wanna make sure you protect yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Great in, great information there. I didn't even realize that. I thought the whole thing for workman's comp was to get not only get you back, obviously, to work, but you know to get you where, I mean, obviously, if you injure yourself in a certain way, but to make you whole as far as uh, um, you know everything is, is uh, uh, well. So that's even information I didn't know there, Keith, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, my pleasure. If, if someone wants to get in touch with you personally or privately to talk about an issue that they may not want to call in or they may not want to put over the air, how do they do that?
1: They can contact me directly uh, my direct dial 570-954-9299. My email is Keith at figuredlaw.com. And then I can also get uh, contacted through my website at figuredlaw.com.
0: And, again, you can contact me at robert.odonnell, R-O-B-E-R-T dot O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L at odyssey.com. And you can email me the questions for Keith next week or the week after in the upcoming segments of Do I Have a Case? Keith, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show this week.
1: My pleasure, Rob. You take
0: care. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Have a good, have a good extended weekend, hopefully. <laughs> I will. Thank you. <laughs> Thank uh, you.